is Bloomberg Surveillance. I think the currency is beginning to shift its focus from nominal short-term interest rate differentials to real short-term interest rate differentials. If we're going to start to assess what we think is going to happen in the emerging world, that's critical for the global economy. The story starts and ends in what happens in China. We're in a modest growth environment. Growth is brittle and below par, but we are not facing a significant risk of recession anytime soon. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Michael McKee and Tom Keen, Bloomberg Surveillance. Mr. McKee, off, off, off this week. Barry Ritholtz, three days in a row. It's a hat trick of brilliance with Barry Ritholtz as he joins us on economics, finance, on Barry Ritholtz's investment wisdom. We always try to do that for one section as we do many hours of Bloomberg Surveillance. And uh, good to have Barry here, really, with markets moving yesterday. Um, sitting there, Barry, listening to Chair Yellen 20 feet away, I didn't get the market impact. She was so subtle, whammo, she moved the markets. They did not hear. The market did not hear anything it didn't want to hear. Basically, the Fed said longer, lower for longer, low and slow, and markets like that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No surprises. So there we are. Uh, we'll have much to talk about. Richard Haas to join us here momentarily. Bloomberg Surveillance this morning brought to you by Invesco. Don't settle for average in your portfolio to Invesco. The right approach means investing with high conviction. Find out more at Invesco.com slash high conviction. Uh, Richard Haas with us. We've been talking all morning about any of the number of uh, challenges in international relations. And to get back to your wonderful book, it dovetails, Ambassador, into lousy economic growth. We're enjoying lousy economic growth. That makes everything more difficult. Oh, it does. It's, we used the word lubricant on the air before. This is the opposite of it. It's sandpaper. And what it does with low economic growth, you have issues like inequality coming to the fore when the real issue is one of social and economic mo- uh, mobility and the, the lack of it. But it creates a political climate where, for example, issues like free trade and the rest become politically toxic. You know, uh, uh, there was just an article in today's New York Times that described how many automobile-related jobs were saved by a policy like NAFTA. So from whence comes... In that specific part of the country, the anger at what's taking place uh, policy-wise in terms of trade. Right. Trade is getting scapegoated for a lot of the ills. In many cases, jobs are disappearing. In some cases, it is because of cheap foreign uh, imports. In most cases, it's simply because of things like technology, innovation, increased productivity, and so forth. And then we don't have workers who are getting the opportunities to get retrained, reeducated uh, for, for new jobs and, and so forth. We don't have the systems in place educationally, financially to, to do that. So trade has become a convenient scapegoat. But people are forgetting trade creates jobs. Trade lowers inflation. Trade creates consumer choice. Trade is strategically a real glue for the world. It, it cl- makes us closer to allies. It gives potential foes reason to think twice before doing radical things. So trade has been a, a major bulwark. Tom, America's role in the world. Tom, I'm hearing a lot of similar themes that the OEC uh, Secretary General Angel Herrera discussed with us yesterday about how significant trade can be both for emerging economies and developed countries and how it's a net-net positive. Yeah, well, th- that's there, but there's a debate over a collapse in trade, a dampening in trade, just part of weaker global GDP. Yeah. Do you have any perspective on that, Ambassador? Is there a real dynamic with trade now, or is it overplayed? 
Well, what you're seeing is you're right, a slowdown in the growth of global trade. It's, you know, it's growing kind of uh, slightly. It's, 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 it's pretty flat. Global trade talks have hit a wall. So we're now into an era of regional and bilateral uh, trade talks. So we can't, we can't get the, the big gains that we had in the past. But the big issue, I think, is the collapse of domestic support for, quote, unquote, free trade in countries like the United States. So TPP, which involves 40 percent of the world's economy. Uh, and right now, I think it's, it's anybody's guess about whether you could get that trade agreement passed. So what do we have to do from both the policy perspective and, and a practical perspective to train workers and give them the skills they need for the 21st century, but also have people become realistic about what needs to take place on the policy side? It's, it's the right question, easier to raise than to answer. Part of it is to have politicians have a, an honest debate about what are the sources well, of job loss. If you're waiting for level. If we're going to wait for an honest debate from well, politicians, the answer is, but the, but the, we're going to wait losing, a long time. Fair enough, but we're losing the debate. The honest answer, we're losing the debate. You know, I find it amazing that people who on Tuesdays will stand up and criticize China and worry about the Chinese threat on Wednesdays will oppose TPP. You can't have it both ways. So we've got right. to have an honest debate about it. But the first half of your question gets at it. We've got to have much more of a safety net. We've got to move away from a front-loaded education system in this country where everything is about high school and college. There's no way, no matter how good it is, it's going to serve people for the next 30, 40, 50 years of their life. So whether it's community colleges, whether it's online or what have you, we're going to need you know, various types of uh, portable education accounts. We're going to need mechanisms to retrain people. Uh, either in schools or in many cases at the workplace in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. The reason that so many, um, in particular, men in their 50s and 60s are supporting candidates like Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, I would say, is because of this. We ought to, we ought to take notice of this and address their legitimate concerns. So, so the frustration levels are this sort of uh, amorphous anger that's not really specific, that's directed at the wrong place, when really it's a demand for... I want to work. I need the skills to compete in the 21st century. I have no idea how or where to get them. And people at the same time know that they don't have the retirement savings they're going to need to see themselves through their, their lives. So this, this yeah. absence of a safety net, and either they've lost their job or they're worried they're going to lose their job, that creates either anxiety, anger, or both. One of the frustrations here, and it's a reading in history that you're expert on and I'm less so, is the desire for government policy that directly spurs investment in America. And Secretary Clinton's alluded to this with fair trade, but maybe it goes back to LBJ, or I use him generally, as a debate about investment tax credits. Is that the dumbest idea? Look, there's so many things we could do, Tom, to increase investment in America. One would be to have a serious infrastructure program, which we don't have. The second would be a little bit of corporate tax reform to get some of these corporations to, to bring their, their profits back home rather than have them sit in accounts uh, abroad. Better education would give people, you know, the workforces that would be investors would need here. So there's any number of things we could do to increase right. uh, investment back home without even getting into the debate you suggested. That infrastructure issue just comes up every single day. It's astonishing that gridlock well, has prevented us from doing anything. For those of it. you globally, enjoy Terminal 1 at JFK. <laughs> I had to run through it recently. I can't remember. It was like maybe to Paris. And it's basically a third world. In, I mean, it has everything know, but the dust. I mean, you know, this is my, my pet peeve. And in all fairness, both the JetBlue terminal at JFK and the new Delta terminal is the leading edge of the rehabilitation. Agreed. Fully agreed. It's, it's like being in a different world. 
LaGuardia right. is still a third world country. Remember when Joe Biden, the vice president, got in trouble for describing LaGuardia the third world airport? And my he was being generous. Time, exactly. I, I travel in the third world most of the time, and uh, we should be so good. You know, <laughs> if our roads were half as nice as those in Brussels, it would be amazing. Before we let you go, you're going to Argentina. What an excitement that is. It's really almost like Myanmar and Burma uh, five years ago with Secretary Clinton there. What are you going to observe or what are you going to do in Argentina to get the pulse of a new nation? Want to get to know the new leadership, want to get to, you know, talk to some of the business people to get a sense of exactly what is being done, what still remains to be done yeah. to get Argentina out of the extraordinarily deep hole that uh, President Kirchner left it in. And then I go on to Brazil, and there it, it's in a very different place, in the, if you will, in the political cycle. And the real question in Brazil is uh, – when can it get out? How can it get out of the mess it's in? And then what, what, what's the sequence and pace of reforms that has to take place? Because whoever takes over in Brazil, and I don't right. know if it's in three months or three years, they're going to inherit yeah. an economy that's going to be, what, 10% smaller than it was a couple of years ago? And in your, in the decathlon, it was touch and go whether you'd go to Rio, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fourth. You know, someone else has to drop out in order for me to, to get invited there. So I'm sitting by the, by the telephone. It was the Oberlin, it was the Oberlin shirt and sweatshirt you wore. Yeah. Richard Huss, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. He is uh, the president of the Council on Foreign Relations, giving us wonderful perspective. I can't say enough, folks, about a careful read of Haas's Project Syndicate uh, op-ed, or essay, I should say, gives it greater uh, credibility, essay on the state of the United States. Really uh, important uh, reading. Uh, Barry, here we are. Janet, you just quickly here, and this will be a theme through the hours. I was like, 18 feet from her or 22 feet from her, and I'm over my rubber chicken, thank you, Marriott, and I didn't hear the dovishness that the market heard instantly out of her comments. She didn't mince any words. It was pretty straightforward. There wasn't a whole lot of that. The key is there were no surprises and nothing that indicated that the hawks on the FOMC yeah. are swaying her. It's It's more the same, low and slow. Slow, yeah. steady increases, and that's the what the market wanted to hear. And she mentioned Slack only a few times, unlike I think she mentioned it 412 times uh, a while ago. The data uh, shows it. Futures up 12, down futures up 101. The Dow closing 17,633. The VIX uh, quiescent 13.82. The 10-year yield 1.82%. Uh, Oil churns off dollar dynamics. DXY weaker. Yen 112.32. West Texas, 38.90 a barrel. This hour of Bloomberg Surveillance always brought to you by Westchester Subaru. Visit westchestersubaru.com. With our news in New York, here's Michael Barr. Tom Barry, thank you very much. Donald Trump says he supports his campaign manager who is charged with simple battery in Florida. Corey Lewandowski is accused of roughing up a reporter who tried to ask a question. Trump also says he is rescinding his pledge to back the eventual Republican nominee if it's not him. The man who admits he hijacked an Egypt airplane had a court appearance today in Cyprus. The court ordered the 59-year-old man to be held for eight days. The Egyptian hijacked the domestic Egypt air flight yesterday and ordered it to be diverted to Cyprus by threatening to blow it up with a fake explosives bill. The U.S. plans to beef up its military presence in Eastern Europe. Pentagon officials will announce today the deployment of an armored brigade combat team as allies worry about threats from Russia. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. I'm Michael Barr. Tom, Barry? And Michael, thanks so much. Futures up 12, Dow Futures up 102. Bonus round for me, Barry Ritholtz. 
three days in a row. Stay with us worldwide, coast to coast. Bloomberg Surveillance. Surveillance brought to you by Anchin Block and Anchin, named the best accounting firm in North America for the sixth year in a row by Hedgeweek.com.